Probably the worst instruction that anybody can give is to take a deep breath. They're having physical fatigue and that's bringing on mental fatigue. And now their mind is elsewhere and you lose focus and then it's game over. But modern life has kind of lost a lot of that. So if you go into a cold shower, it's uncomfortable. And the mental aspect there is that you're feeling something that's uncomfortable and you're surrendering to the discomfort to train your brain not to react to discomfort. We're working with military, we're working with police, we're working with world number one MMA fighters, boxers. You know, people say it's not easy, but what's the alternative? The alternative is stuck living in our head. That's a nightmare. Hey, I hope you're keeping well. I'm Brian Moylet, former rugby player, now mindset and performance coach. And welcome to the pod. This podcast is about well-being and high performance. And in it, you will learn how you can be happier, more fulfilled and more successful. I recently wrote the book on how to become a pro rugby player, forward by Robbie Henshaw, which went to number one in the charts. And you can get this now on Amazon and Audible with the links in the show notes. Please connect me now over on social media at Brian Moylet and at Offfield Rugby. If you enjoyed the pod, please subscribe to it, leave a rating and review wherever you're listening now. And also, you can send it on to some friends. Would really appreciate that. All right, we'll get into today's episode. Cheers. Today, I'm chatting with Patrick McKeown, leading international expert on breathing and sleep and author of a number of books, including The Oxygen Advantage, which I have behind me, which I'm reading at the moment. Um, Cheers for jumping on, Patrick. And so kind of following on from what we were just chatting about before we hit record, I am coaching a team at the moment doing mental skills. And the last week brought them through kind of a guided meditation to just introduce them it's Canterbury under 19s introduce them to bring in awareness to their breath we'll say and you know close their mouth and kind of nasal breathing and just kind of starting that and at the end after you know they're all kind of relaxed and I was kind of just chatting to them and any questions and one guy said why not breathe through the nose and out through the mouth and that I think it's just one of the most common things I remember hearing all the time when I was growing up in through the nose, out through the mouth. So I suppose to start off, um, yeah, why not in through the nose and out through the mouth or why through the nose and out through the nose? I suppose nature, what what has nature done? It's given us a nose to breathe in and out through, you know, we've never seen an animal in the wild breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth. If you look at the fastest animal on earth, the cheetah, nasal breathing all the way. The racehorse, nasal breathing all the way. So there's very few exceptions in nature who use their mouth to breathe, except for the human animal. And our ancestors didn't breathe this way. Our ancestors didn't breathe with their mouths open. They breathe exclusively through their noses. Now, I understand during physical exercise, when the person is gassed out, to breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth, you get rid of carbon dioxide, you get rid of air hunger. And as a result, then you reduce the sensation of breathlessness. But... That's only one example. It, it really doesn't make sense otherwise to be breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth, especially during rest, because if we breathe out through the mouth, we're losing moisture. There's a 42% greater water loss breathing out through the mouth, so it contributes to dehydration. And also, if we breathe out through the mouth, 
it's a faster breath out. So in terms of inducing relaxation and recovery and stimulating the vagus nerve and improving heart rate variability or optimizing it, it's very important to have a slow and relaxed exhalation. So when we think of the breath and we think of the inhalation and we think of the exhalation, the speed of the inhalation doesn't really matter when it comes to inducing a relaxation response. You could have it soft, you could have it slow, you could have it fast. Better to have it normal. But it's really down to the speed of the exhalation. So when you take a soft breath in through the nose and you have that really slow and relaxed and a gentle breath out, you stimulate the vagus nerve, which is wandering throughout the human body. And 80 to 90% of the communication is from the body up to the brain. And by stimulating the vagus nerve, it secretes a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine. And this causes the heart rate to slow down. And when the heart rate is slowing down, the brain is interpreting that the body is safe. So even a simple instruction, because I think you're right, introducing breathing, but introducing one thing that people get. And I often feel that when I'm working with youngsters, and I'm talking about even 20-year-olds, that they will come across situations. They will lose focus. Their mind is racing. They're feeling stressed. They're going into a situation that they're uncomfortable with. How do we tell the brain that the body is safe? Use your breathing. It's not about taking this deep breath. The deep breath often involves hyperventilation. Probably the worst instruction that anybody can give is to take a deep breath. Because a deep breath is involving taking, it can be a faster breath, it can be an upper chest breath, it can be a larger breath. And this gets rid of too much carbon dioxide from the lungs and blood, which in turn reduces blood flow to the brain. So I'll give you an example, Brian. I was going into... You know, if I go into meetings and, you know, like in terms of I have a business too and you're, you're meeting with individuals and I'm meeting with groups of investors sometimes as well. And it can be challenging because number one is I'm out of my, my depth with that. You know, I focus on breathing and I don't like the other stuff. So I need to self-regulate. And one particular meeting I had, I was left waiting for about five hours. This is on national live TV before going into an interview. and you know, you're preparing there because the weight can bring on tension because there's room for the mind to think. And I used my breathing to keep me focused and to get the critical mind out of the way and to be able to, you know, keep my physiology in balance that I'm not too stressed, but I'm not too relaxed either. I just wanted to be right. And then prior to the meeting, the doors, they left me outside the doors for seven minutes. And at one point, I could feel my heart rate coming up. And one of the producers said to me, he said, take a deep breath. And I said, no, I'm not taking a deep breath. And I started doing my own thing. Nobody even knows what you're doing. I took a soft breath in and just a gentle and really slow, relaxed breath out. It's completely silent. It's in and out through the nose. And it's as simple as that. I brought down my heart rate. I put the critical mind aside. And I went into those individuals and I was fully there and I wanted to be fully there. I didn't want to go in with a thinking mind. I wanted to go in in a state where my attention was moving simultaneously because in that state, the right words appear. It's effortless. It's easier. And there's just something about it. The human mind often sabotages us. And breathing is one way in terms of 
altering our state of mind where we can access flow states. And people often talk about flow and any athlete will know when they are in flow in a game because the right action happens. And it's almost that the game is slowing down. But the real question is, can athletes produce that at will? And by accessing breathing, and I'm not talking about any old breathing. There's a lot of breathing instruction out there. I'm talking about directed breathing to bring balance to the physiology. You don't want to be too stressed, nor do you want to be too relaxed. And actually, well, a little bit of stress is good. But how do you get to that state? And that's just an example. Yeah, I think it's tremendous to bring breathing into the 19-year-olds. There's so much to it. And we have to put this aside because breathing has been around for 50 years. And I often feel that people made a mess of it. They made a mess of it because they had all of these connotations and they used the wrong language and they were dressed in, in you know, in probably they were presenting themselves to left of field that the natural and normal audience wasn't able to mm. identify with it. Yeah. There's, you know, cut the crap with breathing and give it to a language that's suitable for the audience and give them the tools that they understand. If I do this, this is the result. Yeah. hundred percent. Brilliant. And it's so true. A few things there, but exactly like you say about going into the meeting and I find, you know, myself every day, there is a moment like that, not as probably as high pressure, but like even before I get on every single podcast, I'm just getting my computer right. I'm getting my microphone right. I'm watching the t- the minutes, you know, 27 past, 28 past, 29 past. And I, you know, it's nothing to worry about so much, but I, I feel that little bit of heart rate just creeping up and I just connect to my breath. It just slow in through the nose slowly out and I just connect to the desk and and what's around me and relax and I've been doing this for a few years and it's like you kind of mentioned it's a very it becomes a very quick process a very quick kind of literally one breath in one breath out process which might be 30 seconds to 40 seconds and within that 30 to 40 seconds it's just all brought back and the connection to the flow wow yeah that's that's something that's just mad uh just sorry the realization i had you know the realization a couple of years ago the connection of your breath as the gateway to the flow state and it can be trained and you know i think this stuff should be taught in school like we're not trained how to concentrate nor are we trained how to deal with stress and for me concentration and focus and resilience the ability to take life or the ups and downs of life and you know sports teaches it like I have a youngster she's playing hurling and I think it's tremendous because she learned life skills and the pitch as you do in a rugby pitch and these these skills you carry with you for the rest of your life but at the same time how many athletes are trained how to concentrate and how many athletes they have physical fatigue you know maybe the 50th 60th 70th whatever minute they're having physical fatigue and that's bringing on mental fatigue and now their mind is elsewhere and you lose focus, and then it's game over. We need also, not just to train the body, but we also need to train the brain. And I'm not just talking about awareness of the breath. Awareness of the breath is tremendous. However, when the mind is racing, it's very difficult to be aware of anything. 
Instead, we need to be using the breath as a gateway to change our physiology. And I would even go as far as sleep quality is a part of that. And if you think of the rugby world, rugby players have a high risk of obstructive sleep apnea. And I don't know how much attention that gets in the rugby world. You're talking about generally bigger guys, gals as well, larger next door conference. They're at a higher risk of stopping breathing and um, having a reduction in the flow of their breathing during sleep. This is a stress response. It's putting stress in the cardiovascular system. And there are rugby players who are dying in their 40s and 50s. Okay, I'm not saying it's massively common, but it happens. And the question that often comes to my mind is, could this player have had undiagnosed sleep apnea? And even these players can be at international levels. So there's stuff in rugby that's been overlooked. The other thing I think that's really worth talking about is concussion. Because I think this is going to come more and more to the forefront. And if if you break down a concussion, they first tested it in animal models. And they found that post-concussion, there's a reduction of blood supply to the brain. Now, if we think of the brain, 15 to 20% of the cardiac output goes to the brain. 750 milliliters of blood goes to the brain every minute, as far as I know. So it's 15 to 20 minutes, sorry, 15 to 20% of cardiac output. Post-concussion, there's a reduction of blood supply to the brain. And this can persist for weeks and months following concussion, even when the individual has no symptoms. The symptoms normally abate after seven to 10 days. But the question to ask is, when there's a reduction of blood supply to the brain that's persisting for weeks and months, and this does carry risks of anxiety, PTSD, depression, and on an extreme stroke. So there's a conversation worth having there. Is it worthwhile doing a breathing exercise that's very gentle to help improve blood flow to the brain? And you can do that by simply going for a walk or jog with your mouth closed. You can do that by breathing light, by taking a very soft breath in through the nose and a really relaxed and slow, gentle breath out, under breathing to develop a feeling of air hunger, which signifies that carbon dioxide is increased in the blood. And as carbon dioxide increases in the blood, physiologically, it's a known vasodilator to improve blood flow to the brain. Eating foods that are rich in nitrates, beets, for example, beetroot. So there's things that players can be doing post-concussion to help their own health. And I'm not sure why there's no research in this. I even just in preparation for this morning, I did a Google and I searched breath holding or blood, you know, breathing exercises post-concussion. There's hardly anything on the net, but it's a normal physiological response. And there's that aspect of it. There's preparation for athletes going out onto onto the field, you know, Some athletes will have varying degrees of nerves and you want to get all of these athletes that they are all in the right right frame of mind. And you can interweave during the warm-up nose breathing, light breathing, slow breathing, low breathing. That's a down regulator even during the warm-up. And it's not that coaches have anything extra to do. They just look at how are these players doing the warm-up, switch them to nose breathing, and ask them, instead of taking faster upper chest breathing, which is activating a stress response, even during the warm-up, talk about nose, slow, and low. The diaphragm is linked with the emotions, but the diaphragm is also providing stabilization for the spine. So those athletes then getting into a scrum, they need to have absolute stability. 
But if they're an upper chest or a dysfunctional breather, and in one paper, 1900 athletes that was published in 2022, 90% of the athletes, regardless of whether they were school kids or professional athletes, 90% of them had dysfunctional breathing. Now that increases the risk of injury, but I'm gonna come back then to the warm up. There's things that can be woven into the warm up, down regulating first, you're preparing, because the warm up shouldn't be just about warming the muscles. The warm up mm. should be about getting the right mental focus into play. The warm up should be about opening up the airways. The warm up should be about spleen contraction. So there's many things that we can do during the warm up and enhance then the player's ability on the field. Now, during play, do whatever you have to do. Forget about your breathing. Focus on the ball. Have your mouth open at times. Of course it's necessary. But also breathe through your nose as much as you can because it improves visuospatial awareness. And visuospatial awareness is your ability to have your attention on the ball, but also you're scanning everything. So this is something that has developed throughout a revolution. And it was first identified in 2019 that researchers, you can imagine thousand years ago we were out in a wide plane and we may have had our focus on the target but we also had to be scanning for predators so it's a very natural human um function that is very relevant to a pitch and re very relevant to field sports there's just a few examples but i've got many more mm, brilliant brilliant you're you're speaking my language or all to all of my biases and i like like i was chatting to you i started learning about this about three years ago when i was still playing and my mind was blown i was like nearly everything that players and coaches are looking at is is like there's just a small piece of it is nearly wrong it's just a small piece of it like when you talk about warm-ups most coaches think of a warm-up as Let's go through our lineouts, our back plays. Let's get them jogging and then build up the intensity and then play. But there's nothing to do with the mind there. They have not, mm -hmm. they have not thought about the mind once. They have thought about plays. Mm -hmm. Plays. As a player, I've done it for 20, 20 years. You know the, you're, you're, you know the plays. You don't need to run through the plays and the coach telling you what plays. And that's another thing for flow state is you don't be thinking and you don't want to be, you have to think about certain things before a game. It's all about just getting into the right mental state and getting into the zone, like you say. And the nose breathing, yeah, just connecting to it. And of course, like you say, you, you breathe through the mouth and, and it's it's something that you just bring, a, I found, you bring awareness to it as much as you can during your day, during your training. And another thing to note is that my experience is it's very difficult at first to switch from mouth breathing to nose breathing. I heard all this, I read all this, and, and then it's like, it's, it's so beneficial, so beneficial. And in training, I'd be running around, I'd be trying to close my mouth and breathe through my nose and I'd be I'd be fact <laughs> like you know yeah, so that's yeah. yeah. so that's one thing to, it is it is challenging the switch over yeah but you know like it's we we don't have to have 100% nose breathing we have to be realistic as well there's times at which you know low and moderate intensity the mouth should be closed see weightlifters you know rugby players go to the gym they understand that if they want to strengthen a muscle they put an extra load onto it 
But what about the breathing muscle? What about the diaphragm? You know, what happens when the diaphragm gets tired during play? Blood is stolen from the legs and the legs are giving out. You have to think that the human body will sacrifice everything to maintain breathing. Breathing is a much more important function than running. You know, it's, it's, and the, the human body is going to sacrifice the legs to maintain good blood flow and supply to the, to, to the diaphragm. But we can strengthen the diaphragm. So when we think about, say, for example, um, switching to nose breathing during the warm up and during low to moderate exercise, it's adding an extra load that's a challenge, but nothing extreme. So it's not necessarily about going for a sprint. Okay, we do some sprinting with the mouth closed, but we never want to do it to the point that it's excruciating because you could injure your nose. And we also do sprinting with breath holes. You know, and I'll give you this example. There's a French researcher called Wurons, and he was working with rugby union players. He got 21 rugby union players, and this was during peak season. Divided them into two groups. In one group, he had them do 40 meter sprints with a breath hold after exhalation. The same stuff as you see you're reading in the book. In the other book, in the other group, he had them sprint with normal breathing for 40 meters. And it was a departure every 30 seconds. Their repeated sprint ability before the trial was about nine reps. After four weeks of training, the group who were doing the 40 meter sprint with a breath hold after exhalation increased their repeated sprint ability from nine reps to 14 point something reps. The group who were doing their repeated sprints with normal breathing, which normal breathing is normally is of course mouth open, they had a very small increase. I think it was from nine to 10 reps. Now we're talking about elite pro rugby union players here. Normally, if you get a 1% gain, it's huge. But to increase a performance determinant such as repeated sprintability, because it's really relevant in rugby as it is in team sports. Repeated sprintability is your ability to do all-out effort, followed by a very brief recovery before an all-out effort again. And it's exhausting, but you can train that. And that paper is published. And, you know, there's just another example that we're using breathing adding that extra load onto the individual. So there's two components that I see when I'm working with people. I see the down regulation, the recovery. Mm. This is really, really important. The sleep component, improving heart rate variability, bringing balance to the autonomic nervous system, training focus and concentration. This is all very important. This is your, your everyday breathing stuff. And then we have the challenges. We have the sprinting with breath holes. Mm. We have the jogging. We have the, the, the fast, faster running with the mouth closed. So we have the stressor component of it. And we also have the relaxing component of it. And it's about bringing it together. And it's having a toolbox. We use about 26 different techniques. Knowing which exercise to use in a specific situation. But these exercises are simple. You know, and you can break down a game of rugby. You can talk about what do we do during the warm-up, what to do in play. Normally, I say forget about your breathing. But, of course, if the ball is elsewhere, make sure that you are nose breathing. But what do you do if you get sin-binned? You know, so you have the players sin-binned, and now they're thinking about what the coach is going to say to them after the game. That's a disruption to their mindset. Now they're feeling that they've let down the, the players, and they're going out onto that field, whereas they should be using that for recovery. That should be re-energizing, getting back your focus and going back out on that. Okay, you've been sin bin, but now go back out 
in a better frame of mind. You're after having a 10 minute or whatever it is, 10 minute break, you're going back out in a better frame of mind. You're going to make up for that. What do you do during halftime? What do you do going from the pitch back to the dressing room in terms of recovery? Conserve your energy during halftime. It's not a time for wasting energy. It's all about conservation and you can use breathing in that. And it's almost that, you know, resetting is very, very important because we can make mistakes and we never want to carry that mistake throughout the rest of the game. And the people who have the ability that regardless of whatever is after happening in the past, that they can move on from that, they can put it behind them, they can compartmentalize it and it's almost as if it's never happened. That's mm. the key. And the other aspect is, like the leader, the leader of any game is the guy or gal who is able to maintain focus under pressure. The leader is not the individual. You know, when, it, when the, everything is going right, the leader doesn't have much to do. It's when things are going wrong that the leader steps up to the plate. And that leader, by having an absolute determinant and focus and being able to stay calm under pressure is then able to rally the rest of the team to set that example. You know, and these are just examples. And then post, post-match, post what about recovery? So how do you have to bring down your heart rate quicker? And the physiology there is, of course, you want to stimulate the vagus nerve. You know, by having that slow exhalation, I understand you're gassed out. Okay, you could do mouth in and a slow breath out through the mouth. And then you could do nose in and a slow breath out through the mouth. And then you could nose in and nose out. But all the time, you're looking to slow down the speed of the exhalation to bring down the heart rate for recovery post-physical exercise. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And to for this, so many things there that are going to get to one or two, but to show how obvious <clears throat> this is, is can you imagine, say, a coach listener, a person listening, to show how important the breath is? Imagine if you're doing a cool down. So a cool down is a thing in rugby, you stretch. Imagine if all the players were lined up stretching and they were panting, panting through their mouth like this. How effective would that cool down be? You know, like it's very obvious yeah, when yeah. you put it like that. Like yeah. anyone gets that. They're like, well, obviously not, Brian. So that just shows. And uh, what, a way I explained it as well to um, someone just starting out with the relaxation and how that breath can actually be good is before a one rep max in the gym i remember before doing a bench press one rep max you breathe like that to get to kind of upregulate your nervous system to get the blood flowing to boom get one rep and then for the relaxation and it's so interesting you say that i put a, a reel out there earlier in the week about literally what you just said in that Rugby players, when they get a moment of a break in play, should act the way a boxer acts on the stool. So a boxer fights hard for their, you know, like it's that's the most extreme or UFC fighter. And when they go back to the stool, boom, they are just complete relaxation. They close their mouth. They sit into the chair. They get maybe some ice on their neck. They breathe through their nose. They downregulate everything. They go into the fight. Boom, they're back at it. So a rugby player, and there's many breaks in play in rugby. It's, you know, the ball gets kicked into the stands. Like you say, stop, connect to the breath, relax the body. It could be a three second, an eight second, a 12 second thing. It's more of the mental thing about you telling your body that and you just doing that. And it's so interesting to say that, like, 
there's so many coaches in rugby on rugby teams now professional rugby teams there's 10 there's s and c and this is my i this is what i i i fully believe is that the mind is now where strength and conditioning was in rugby when the game turned professional 25 years ago they all started saying let's get to the gym and get stronger and i would i put it out there is there one are there professional teams that, like you said about the Sinbin, who have trained their players of how to rest and recover and refocus when they are Sinbin'd? Has any team done that as a protocol and trained their players for it? Because the way the game is, nearly every game, there's probably a Sinbin close to. But what happens then, I bet, is you go over to the Sinbin, like you say, I'm letting the team down, I'm letting the fans down, oh, what's everyone thinking? And that's just the exact opposite. That's the worst. Whereas teams should bring their players through that. And it's a very simple explanation, a very simple, you know, training. You you can do it as a training on the field. You can go, Patrick, you're simbined over to that chair. And then Patrick leaves the training ground and goes over to the chair and practices. And it's borderline like a meditation, what you're kind of saying. You relax into the chair, you close your mouth, you, you, um, breathe slowly you slow your breathing down through your nose and uh fascinating yeah mm. and like brian if somebody says well you're going to be too down regulated well, it's very easy to upregulate. yeah like, all you have to do then is do a couple of faster breaths you know and the other thing is are we playing with our head or are we playing with our body there's a big difference that if you go out and do any sort of physical exercise and if you do the physical exercise with your attention stuck in your head it's almost that the head is disconnected to the body. It, you want to go out onto that field with every cell of your body. You want to play with every cell of your body. And having your attention dispersed throughout the body, and just what you spoke about earlier on, you were training for 20 years. You were playing for 20 years. All of that information is stored in the brain. There's a muscle memory there. We need to get the, the mind out of the way. Hmm. And to allow that, if it's intuition or training, or whatever it is, to allow that to dictate because it's already stored there. But if we're thinking too much, we're not going to allow the muscle memory kick in. Dispersing attention throughout the body is not something that you will practice just on the, on the day of the game. This is something that we need to be bringing into our everyday life. But however, I'm nearly 50 years of age. I was fortunate to come across this 25 years ago. I will genuinely say, on a personal basis, it was one of the best things that I have ever learned to get through life. These tools are not just for the rugby pitch. If we give these out to youngsters, they have that and it will improve their resilience. And at the moment, we have to think of the wider picture here. Mental health issues, distraction, attention deficit, poor sleep. The mind is a mess and it's made worse by Instagram and social media because it's cluttering the head. I was lucky enough for the first 25 years of my life, I didn't have social media. I didn't have mobile phones. I had none of that. And if I was bored, it was a reset because, okay, I'd be looking around or might daydream. But now when people are bored, the first thing that they reach into is their phone, their mobile phone. They're scrolling aimlessly with useless information. And there's an awful lot of pressure on people as well. You know, 
these devices have been created in a way with social media by teams of behavioral psychologists that know us better than we know ourselves. And I find it's really, really sinister. There's a 19 or 20 year old there. They're looking at themselves in social media. They're looking at other people. They're feeling inadequate because other people are looking better than them or have more likes. They post, they get so many likes. The next day they post again and they're competing against themselves. They're competing against everybody else. They're competing against themselves. It's something that we can all do without. And I can imagine that in a competitive world, that's gone to the next level with these trolls that are saying and making remarks. And, you know, like there's something really. So what I would say is forget about the mobile phone, social media, myself, I limited. Absolutely. Okay. I'm lucky enough. I have a staff member that does her own social media, but we have to be very careful. If we want to have that quality of mind on the pitch, we have to think about the quality of mind off the pitch. If we want to have good breathing practice on the pitch, we need to think about good breathing practice off the pitch. We can't be practicing distraction all day long and then expect to be fully focused going out into the game. And, you know, the bar is low here because nobody is doing it. Like you've talked mm. about SNC coaches. I spoke with SNC coaches in the IRFU, in the English Roses, through the All Blacks, and different teams. But I'm not sure how much of this are they actually getting. I have yet to go into a rugby team and I have yet to bring that team and bring them through their paces because it's a different story, me talking to an SNC coach and they're transmitting this information to a team. Mm. I have 20 years, I have muscle memory. I have 20 years of experience and there's something valuable there because the communication and pushing it, that gets true to the team. But I will say, even if an SNC takes 5% of what we're talking about today and starts introducing it, it's still better than nothing. Hey, Brian here. I work one-on-one -on -one with rugby players, helping them perform better on the field, enjoy it more and maximize their careers. If you feel like there's more in you and don't want to have regrets down the line, head over to offfieldrugby.com now and book a free 30-minute Zoom consultation. And the link is in the show notes. On the call, you talk to me about where you're at now, what you would like to achieve, and I'll show you how I can help you get there. You then go off and decide if you want to invest in yourself and move forward with the one-on-one -on -one coaching. For teams, I do mental skills sessions over Zoom. Players will have mindset shifts on the call, but also they'll get exercises to practice going forward. So it's like an S&C program, but for your mental strength. If you're a coach or manager of a team, you can book a free 30-minute Zoom consultation now as well on offfieldrugby.com. If you have any other questions, you can get in touch with me through my social media, at Brian Moylet, at Offfield Rugby, or the website, offfieldrugby.com. All right, cheers. We'll get back into today's episode. You're so spot on and it's something that you need to live it and you need to be it, you know, simple yes. as you can't, you can't, you can't say, I heard about this nose breathing, um, on a podcast lads breathe through, no, it just in any, in any coaching that never works, be it a, a backs or a coach or a line out coach, 
you can never you need to know something so well that you can teach it in your own words that's you know and this is no different because players detect it straight away if there's a if if they if you don't know it that well and it's it's just the next level yeah it's the next level like and i've been through i've been to professional teams and stuff as well and and spoke to people and, and seen things and yeah there's just there's just another it's just another level it's um it's another level and it excites me and it's like look i you know there's i just started the path that i'm on and you mentioned mental health and that's how i got onto this path about five six years ago i got a shoulder injury got really depressed and just started reading into anything i could to help me get better breathing was one of the mindfulness spirituality psychology uh stoicism any philosophy buddhism all this stuff i was just Mm. (laughs) reading everything i could Mm. and that's how i then went back into the field and was just playing i just it was like i cracked the code completely and so i just started there was no one doing this or i had heard of mental skills and i was like trying to google mental skills coaches and i could i found a few and i've spoke to them on this podcast and it's um yeah it's just it's it's mad it blows my mind but i was just like here i need to start sharing this stuff i need to just start uh, i need to just start set up a page set up a podcast chat people set up and just get the word out there and just going back to you mentioned mental health and cold showers are something that i find very important for my own mental health you mentioned the vagus nerve and i'm not quite sure the connection you'll probably know it but the and i've spoken to them people it's come up where people on here we chat about cold showers it just comes up but that's about the breath it's not about the mind it's not mind over matter a cold shower it's the cold water is a tool which allows you to instantly slow down and calm your breath so when it's not about like when you jump into a cold shower it's not about like going like some people do exactly that's yeah and that just does torture that's torture it's about just calming the breath instantly and that's a practice and then when you do you just it's just it's the epitome of mindfulness. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> mm. It's about surrendering to discomfort. Yeah. So if you think of our modern life, it's all about comfort, you know, but if you think throughout our evolution, we had many times of discomfort. Human beings are very resilient. We, we are very good at coping with things that happen in general, you know, and we've been trained that way. And I suppose we've evolved that way, but modern life has kind of lost a lot of that. So if you go into a cold shower, it's uncomfortable. And the mental aspect there is that you're feeling something that's uncomfortable and you're surrendering to the discomfort to train your brain not to react to discomfort. And that skill then can, when something happens then in your normal everyday life that's uncomfortable, you don't have the same reaction because it's very important to be able to maintain composure when something goes wrong. We don't want to go into a fight or flight response because a fight or flight response is when the brain wants to get us out of the situation. There's times, of course, when that happens, but it's not the right approach. You know, I was listening to a podcast by Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. He was interviewing a brain surgeon called Dr. Rahul. And I've often used this. I wrote about it in one of the books. And Dr. Rahul spoke about, he says, when I get into a difficult situation, now you can imagine he's a brain surgeon. Now, I can't think of anything that's more kind of challenging 
even regardless of his training. He says, when I get into a difficult situation, the first thing I do is prevent myself from hyperventilating. Mm. The first thing he does is prevents himself from hyperventilating. How many people know that? How many children and teenagers and adults and people in sports and people in the corporate world, when they get into a difficult situation, they respond by hyperventilating. So the cold shower, many people will respond by hyperventilating. But the thing about the cold shower, as you said, you go into it, it's uncomfortable, you're slowing down the breath and you're surrendering to the discomfort and you're training your brain and you're training your breathing. I'm now in a difficult situation, but I'm not responding by hyperventilating. It's a skill. It's a skill. And the same with breath holding. You know, like with people with different degrees in terms of people coming in with panic disorder or anxiety, they often feel terrified with suff- by suffocation. And of course, I've made mistakes in the past because I would give them a degree of suffocation which was too challenging for them. And I've put them um, unintentionally into panic attacks. But I learned from it. And it's really important to think that breathing is something that's individual to all of us. And very often, you know, there's a breathing momentum gets out there and people are jumping on the bandwagon. They're saying this is the breathing technique that we should all be doing. Not necessarily. I think you need to understand what any breathing technique is doing, especially for you. It's very important to dip your toes into the water gently. So if I have somebody coming in with panic disorder, I give them a teaspoon of suffocation and I gently gear them up according to how that person is responding to the breathing techniques. Because... I don't want to put them into anxiety. I've, of course, have you know this has happened, but over twenty years, you learn kind of, you you learn from you actually learn from your mistakes. Of course, mm. these are the things that you really you know something happens. You're saying, okay, there's something wrong here, and I couldn't quite figure it out. And it took me a little bit, I you know because when I'm doing breathing exercise for myself, that's my experience. But you can have somebody else who's had a trauma in their past as most most of us had, high stress levels, genetic predisposition, near drowning incidents or things like that, we need to tailor them breathing exercise or at least go gently with those people because they will respond stronger to the techniques. So, you know, we see cold showers. People say, oh, macho, jump in there for five minutes. No, why not try it for 10 seconds? Hmm. Dip your toe into the water. Build it up next week, 15 seconds, next week, 30 seconds. You know, it's you're gently building it up in response to how your physiology is reacting to it. Yeah, 100%. And another um, part of it is what just speaking about the mental side is a bit different from breathing, but it's the actual doing of it. So like you just get, like say 10 seconds, like you just doing it for 10 seconds is going to give you you feel good about yourself. You feel like you obviously you've achieved something. You feel strong. You feel capable. You feel, and those are all great ways to feel and see yourself then when you take on your day, um, along with all the kind of the physiological um, benefits of it. And I was just chatting to another coach there two days ago, just on the sideline um, during training. He's kind of into his, this, all this kind of stuff as well. And he, um, was saying, oh, I'm going to add a cold shower. I had them in the past. I'm going to get back into it now. And it's just, we were chatting and we kind of said like, it's just about when you're going back into it, just about start it, go to when you can relax your breath. It's just, it's not about time per se. It's about 
you know, if you can do 10 seconds, your goal is, is to re- try and relax as much as you can. Or if you're doing 15, just try to relax, try to relax. That's, that's the goal versus getting more time. Because if you're hyperventilating on 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and still hyperventilating at a minute, it'll just be torture. Um, so that's something, yeah, I think that's important. Two things I want to get onto, I suppose we'll start one, then the other, um, just you kind of triggered my, my mind, but, um, the working out while breath holding. So I've been doing, as I said, for about three years now, when I go for a walk, I breathe in through my nose, breathe out, close my, stop my breathing and see how many steps I can do. Uh, once again, uh, from you. And the other one is taping your mouth when you sleep. That is just a game changer. There's two things. There's many things with sleep, but take magnesium before bed, I find incredible. And also taping my mouth before bed. And it's something I think everyone should do. And at the start, it can be kind of, I suppose, scary. If so, you say tape your mouth, oh, geez. So maybe how do you start that? Do you start by taping your mouth during your day just to get acclimatized to it? Yeah, it's, I think it's very important for people to breathe through their nose during sleep. And 50% of people will breathe through an open mouth and they wake up with a dry mouth in the morning. And the problem with that is that they have a lighter sleep and they're more prone to sleep apnea, they're more prone to snoring. And of course, a lighter sleep or sleep disruptions, you're going to have poor concentration. It's going to contribute to mental fatigue. You're not going to have the same focus or productivity during the day. So sleep is vital. But it's not just about sleep quantity, it's about sleep quality and nasal breathing and of course a cool, dark, airy bedroom, all of the sleep hygiene is important. We brought out a tape called Myotape about three years ago. Now, we've always had a problem with t- with having kids. How do we get kids switching to nose breathing? And it was never suitable to put a tape right across their lips. You know, we're talking about five years of age, six years of age. Myotape is an elasticated tape. It's from Kinesio tape, and it's cut into a strip with a cut-out portion. You stretch it, you apply it around the mouth, and it's the elastic tension that brings the lips together. So it's safe, but also from a psychological point of view, people adhere to it a lot easier because people do feel uncomfortable, especially people with if they have any anxiety or, for example, if they have breathing issues, they'll say to themselves, you know, I'd be suffocated. But yeah. the tape is there as an encouragement to breathe through the nose. And the other thing, Brian, is it's not just about taping them out at night. It's about practicing good practice, good habits during the day in terms of breathing, breathing in and out through the nose during wakefulness. If your nose gets stuffy, you can decongest it using the breath hold exercise that you did there. You spoke about if people have anxiety or panic disorder or any serious medical conditions, go very easy with breath holding because it is a stressor. And you don't want to stress your body too much. So for me, taping was a game changer. Like I was, when I I wasn't, you know, I came out of university. I was in the corporate world, but I struggled. I left school originally at 14, never to go back to it. I couldn't hack the education system. I couldn't stay in the classroom because I didn't have the concentration and the mental mental focus to, to adhere what the teacher was saying. I wasn't disruptful. I just didn't care. And I left school at 14 because I wanted to, to have my own supermarkets and I was working part-time in a supermarket anyway, even though I was working there since 11, but this is back in the 1980s. You know, you could do that. Labor laws were different than they were now. I was only part-time. But so, you know, my goal was, I was always driven. Um, But I got through school. I ended up going back to school a year later 
and I did the intercert. No, I did the yeah, I'd left after the intercert. I studied for the leaving cert. I didn't get the points. I did it again. And I got into TCD. It could have been a lot easier. Nobody taught me how to concentrate. Nobody spoke mm. about my sleep quality. You know, I went in Erasmus to Sweden with an exchange with Uppsala University, and I was told in the dormitories that I was stopping breathing during sleep. I had no idea what it was, but I was exhausted all the time. You know, we can have sleep apnea from a very young age. And I have, as a mouth breather, increased risk, high palate, jaws that are set back, craniofacial changes associated with mouth breathing because of having asthma and a stuffy nose from a young age. No doctor had ever said it to me. So, you know, I'm just thinking about, you're talking about sleep quality. When I started taping my mouth closed, okay, I used a nasal dilator because I have a very small nasal airway and a stuffy nose. I used a nasal dilator to help make sure I was maintaining nasal breathing. And it was about the second night I woke up the second morning after taping my mouth. And I genuinely say, I woke up feeling refreshed. I had never experienced it like that before. And you think that this is something. And I have to say there was resistance and resistance and resistance and all of this work, resistance. But now, now we're seeing a change. We're seeing a massive change. And the Washington Post wrote an article there about two days ago. Iga, I can't pronounce her surname. She's number one, number one in the world in women's tennis. She was training with her mouth taped. Mm. And that's only a snapshot. Like we're working with military. We're working with police. We're working with world number one MMA fighters, boxers at high ranking. You know, we've got three, three or 4,000 instructors across 50 countries. This is all happening. But, you know, so breathing isn't this thing, because when people think about taping the mouth, yes, there is a way to do it safely. And you don't have to cover the mouth, you know, and of course, with younger children and things like that, you have to be very, very careful with. Um, but yeah, there, there's something certainly happening there, but it, it's not that everybody needs to tape. It's those individuals who are waking up to the dry mouth in the morning. And I will guarantee you this. You line up any rugby squad, I would say 50% of that group is mouth breathing and that's impacting their physiology. Mm, yeah, yeah. And the knock-on effects, you kind of um, start to touch on it, but they're incredible. And the mental health, like there's essentially a direct correlation between mouth breathing and poor mental health. I would say so. That's not Without a, without a doubt. Yes, yeah, it's not a stretch. It's simple as simple as. Yeah. And, you know, I could extrapolate that out very easily, but I won't. But um, the. The what was I going to say there? The, sorry, the knock on effect. So if you have poor sleep, you'll then be far more likely to go for coffee. OK, and you'll drink more coffee and coffee is fine. Don't get me wrong, but you'll drink extra coffees because you've had poor sleep that then gives you the jitters that then leads to low level anxiety you know i'm not not to overdo but just the jitters and i actually have, have you know in the last while started to be very aware of my coffee in the last year or two just trying to lower it down and because you know i find that when i get a little bit stressed i'd have an extra coffee you know or that kind of stuff so at least more coffee it also when you've had poor sleep it you become the brain wants calories to get more energy so you're more likely 
to get shitty food. So you think about it, if you've had a really rough sleep, you are more likely to get the donut in the morning. Fact. And so now you're eating sugary because you you feel you need, you just subconscious feel you need that energy. So the poor sleep then is linked to that kind of stuff. And then you can just keep going forever. You eat the donut and then you feel that then affects your gut microbiome, which affects your thinking, affects your mood, affects your mental health once again. And so it's just a big circle, you know? Mm. And it comes back to, can we have absolute focus of the mind if our sleep quality is poor? I don't think anybody with mental health no. issues is going to address their mental health. But these people, so if we look at the anxiety and panic disorder population, 75% of this group has dysfunctional breathing. Now, they normally go to their psychologist or their psychiatrist or their psychotherapist. They do cognitive behavioral training, which is great, but it doesn't address respiratory physiology. But what about that person with mental health issues who has poor sleep quality, is heavily snoring, is stopping breathing during sleep, is waking up exhausted? And there's a huge correlation between depression and sleep apnea. But yet that person with depression is going again to their psychotherapist and their psychologist and their psychiatrist. How many of those professionals, healthcare professionals, understand about sleep? See, we're operating with the human being, almost splitting it up into separate functions. And as you pointed out, the connection between the microbiome and the brain, the connection between our sleep and our eating habits. Breathing is tying in there as well. So when, often when I look at it, we see breathing, I see sleep quality, and I see the mind. If the mind is racing, you're not going to fall asleep easy. But if you've got poor quality sleep, your mind is racing. If your mind is racing, your breathing is faster and harder because you're stressed. But if your breathing is faster and harder, your mind is racing. And if your breathing is fast and harder, your sleep quality is poorer. And it's very easy to, you know, I often feel that breathing of course we need more research and that would be my quest in terms of showing the credibility that there's something really important here and bringing the science into it because there's so much nonsense out there and all of the woo-woo and all of that crap because all it's done it's made a mess of it and it's put people off and I wrote a paper with two ear nose and throat doctors looking at everyday breathing and how it affects sleep apnea peer-reviewed, published in the, the Journal of Clinical Medicine. And it's cited now a number of times. Okay, it's a start. This is where we want to go with breathing. We need people to have a genuine look into the importance of bringing breathing into sports. A number of physiologists have started writing papers on it. It's still few and far between. Can you imagine all of the sports medicine lecturers throughout the world? And yet they have forgotten about breathing in strength and conditioning. In human performance, they have forgotten about breathing. What is going on? So a few have started to write about it, which is excellent. But we need more. We need more research. We need more awareness. And then we will be making some progress. So another thing I started doing a couple of years ago was the when I was walking, breathing in, breathing out and then seeing how many steps I could do. And also, about two years ago, when Dustin Poirier fought McGregor, I was watching Poirier's training camp on YouTube, and his coach, 
was getting him to he was doing ropes the battle ropes and he would kind of shout like exhale hold and go for 10 and so kind of the same thing and and that was cool i remember at that time so mcgregor so- wasn't doing it and i'd re- <laughs> i'd reached out to their camp i told them so did you and i also said i did yeah because i was watching um conor mcgregor's breathing during an interview press conference and it wasn't post-competition you know it, technically he's resting okay might have a little bit of tension there but i could see he was breathing faster in upper chest and when i see that breathing pattern and it's not that he's having a panic attack of course he's not but it's just that his breathing is just that little bit more noticeable and when you see that breathing pattern during rest that's going to affect during physical exercise you're more likely to gas out too soon so you see it's your everyday breathing that's the key and you know like i remember sitting around the boardroom table here with a county football a group of county footballers with their manager and i know there was another support staff member there and there were five or six players there and about two minutes in I turned to one of the players and I said, how you're breathing now is going to impact you on the field. And then I started explaining. And afterwards, the the coach came over to me and he says, we couldn't believe that you picked up on that in two minutes. And I said, it's normal. You know, if you if you see that breathing pattern, that does hold an individual back. And that needs to be it's a habit that needs that can be addressed and needs to be addressed. That's so interesting. You saw that with McGregor and he has uh he's known to gas out yeah of course because like and you know breathing is has been forgotten about it. it's been overlooked but i think it's changing it is absolutely changing so um but i think it's so cool that um the other guy was was doing breath holding so class yeah and in ufc any ufc i'm a ufc fan i like it and any UFC fan who will know that Joe Rogan always talks about it. He goes, he's after getting punched in the nose. He can't breathe through his nose. He's mouth breathing. Joe will, because Joe Rogan's big into all this stuff, you know, and he'll, he'll straight away detect. He goes, that's going to really affect him now as we go on through the rounds. If it happens early in the, like the second round, Joe will always come to and go, that's massive for this fight. He's going to have to breathe through his mouth from now on. And it's so interesting. Yeah, it is. I think a seasoned observer of boxing or MMA will pick up on it. Um, now, of course, you can always say that, well, it's a very intense sport, which it is, and mouth breathing is inevitable, but it's the degree to which the person is breathing. You know, it's it's how hard and fast are they breathing, how soon in, because we've only so much energy. So in terms of breathing muscles, like our breathing muscles consume oxygen. So we want our breathing muscles to be also efficient in terms of their consumption of oxygen. And during rest, the breathing muscles will consume about 2 to 3% of oxygen. And during intense physical exercise, it's about 10%. During maximum exercise, probably about 15%. But if somebody has dysfunctional breathing, it can increase it to as high as maybe 20 or 30%. So you've got an excessive consumption of oxygen due to breathing muscles that are not performing the way they should be performing. That's why it's very important, not just to improve the strength of the diaphragm, like power breed, for example, it's all about strength of diaphragm. 
But what about function? What about the biochemical dimension of breathing? And nose breathing, by the way, is a great place to start. So if I was, for example, just to do a kind of a roundup of breathing and the application specifically for rugby, I would be looking at the athlete's everyday breathing outside of rugby. As you said, when you go for a walk, you can be doing breath holding. You're taking your attention out of your mind and onto the breath and into the body. You're not just training your body, you're training your breathing, you're training your brain. That's really, really vital. And it's bringing those skills then from your everyday life into the pitch, but bring them into training first. So the next time the player is on a, maybe a treadmill, don't just perform the exercise or training on the treadmill with their attention stuck in their head. Go beyond that. Exercise with every cell of your body. Make it a habit of dispersing your breathing throughout the body. I don't do breathing exercises formally. I was on a cross trainer earlier on. I have to do it every day. Otherwise, I have to do it every morning. If it doesn't happen in the morning, it never happens. Yeah. But when I'm on the cross trainer, I'm doing it with nasal breathing. I'm ramping my heart rate up to about 140 beats per minute. I'm not an athlete. I'm nearly 50 years of age. So I do what I do that suits me. I will exercise with my attention dispersed throughout the body because I also use the physical exercise as a means of helping to bring my attention into present moment awareness. I will do some breath toes during that to stress the body and mind to open up the airways to increase blood flow to the brain. And even if it's that 30, 40 minutes, I've done three things in one there. So it's not that because you can think of the demands of people, you know, you're told to do meditation, do breathing exercises, go and do physical exercise. Why not? It's, it's all about life. If we go for a walk, not to go for a walk with our attention stuck in our head, you know, every single time, a little bit here and a little bit there throughout our day, bringing our attention out of the mind onto the breath and connecting with life around us. And there's something inherently wonderful there. You know, people say it's not easy, but what's the alternative? The alternative is stuck living in our head. That's a nightmare. It's a nightmare when we, when we, when we are cognizant of what's going on in the mind, all the self-defeating, critical thinking, the comparison thoughts. You know, it's if you were married to your own mind, you'd have it divorced in about two weeks. All of the nonsense that goes through the mind and it goes through everybody's mind. And I think, of course, with youngsters, they're even more vulnerable. So there's an even bigger conversation about youngsters being able to, and it's not about ignoring things and, you know, it, it, like there's a time to plan. There's a time to think. Absolutely. You know, and if something has happened, absolutely, you want to think about it. But there's also a time not to think. If you go into a park or if you go out into nature and if you've got 20 minutes to yourself, don't spend that 20 minutes out there thinking, 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 because you might as well be in isolation. You might as well be in confinement. You're out in nature, merge with what you're around, you know, listen to what's going on around you. See with what's, see what's going around you. Feel, bring your attention out of the mind and into the body. And there's nothing woo-woo about it because these are the life skills that we should have been equipped with during our education. Get rid of geography, get rid of history and bring in some real life skills that we use that are valuable to us. And I think the education of the future is going to be that way but also the sports of the future. So thinking about the rugby, you know, the athlete, yet think about your everyday life and don't feel that this isn't for you. 
just start off something small. As you said, a couple of breaths. A couple of breaths is something to start with because this is how you develop habit. And don't expect something out of it either because when you set an expectation and a goal, you're here, but you want to be there. I don't want to be here. I want to be over there. You're automatically jumping to the future. And at first, when we start bringing our attention out of the mind and onto the breath, the mind wants to take control. Of course, that's what the mind does. We have been trained how to think, but we haven't been trained how to stop thinking. And like any training, it takes a little bit of practice and persistence and patience. And gradually, what happens is you're having your attention on the breath. And with practice, then you can tap into this whenever you want. And there's something very comforting with it. There's something very comforting that, for instance, in my own work, if I go out on stage and I was at Colors of a Strav, it's a, a music festival, a little bit like Electric Picnic, and there's 55,000 people. And um, Niall Horn, for example, was also, he was singing at it. And another aspect is called the melting pot, whereby it's all about health and lifestyle and wellness. And I'm talking to 1,500 people. I have comfort in the knowledge that I'm not going to go get stage fright out there because I know how to self-regulate. But I know how to self-regulate because I bring it into my normal everyday life. And there's something very comforting in that, that you've always this thing to fall back on. Your breath is your friend once you're able to harness it. So bring it into your warm up. Don't just go through the motions. Do your warm up with every cell of the body. When you're on the treadmill, every cell of the body. When you're walking down the street, every cell of the body. And you're continuously training the brain and you're training your brain to hold attention on one thing. And then during the match, you've got the mental resilience and focus to be able to hold attention for the duration of the game. You don't want to be losing attention in the last five minutes of the game. This is when the game is lost. And then bring in, you know, simple things. Going for a jog with your mouth closed. Do it at an intensity whereby you can sustain nasal breathing. Halfway through your jog, do a couple of easy breath holds. Breathe in, breathe out and hold your breath for about 5, 10, 15 paces. Then continue jogging with your with normal breathing in and out through your nose. Like Brian, I'd love to see an awareness of this. Last year, we put a lot of time and, and money into an app, Oxygen Advantage, and we made it available for free because even despite the 20 years of work that we've done in this field, we've only scratched the surface. If you think of all of the, the rugby players and coaches and strength and conditioning, they, they, most of them don't know much about breathing. They don't know what you know about breathing. So the whole purpose of the app was to generate awareness. Everything is in it. And it's a very detailed app. It's probably one of the more detailed apps on the market. There's no sign up. Sorry. There's only a sign up in terms of email to get your daily plan. It's not used for marketing. There's no subscription fee. There's no fee. And the purpose of the app is to generate awareness of breathing. We need this to happen and we need to happen soon. So that was the idea behind it. So maybe that might be a resource for some people who feel that they want to start dipping their toe into the water. Brilliant. Brilliant. You said it all there and um, for people to get started with and, yeah brilliant and something that's interesting just to touch on is that it's it's challenging as well the same way if you go to the gym it's challenging so like for the things you mentioned there you know um 
holding your mouth uh, while you're running if you've never done breath. it while you're while you're jogging sorry breath uh, yeah closing your mouth holding your breath uh, uh, sorry yeah uh, breathing through your nose while you jog or or doing breath holds while you jog also or these different things and it, you start to feel uh, you call it breathlessness or, or uh, breath hunger need for breath and and that's yep. slightly that's uncomfortable actually simple as and but it's the same way when you go under and lift weights it's uncomfortable it's the same way when everything's uncomfortable uncomfortable doesn't mean bad and and it's um the the one i do just just every day when i'm walking um just naturally for the last couple of years the the breathe in breathe out hold the breath see how many steps i can do at the end of it you know you you kind of I get it back within two breaths, but it's kind of, you know, and you feel this like flush through my legs and it's kind of like, whoa, it's a bit, I don't know what, it, I don't know what even that is. Is that the carbon dioxide or something? But that kind of feeling you get yeah. all throughout your legs. We're not sure. People sometimes get jelly legs and sometimes I feel it's because we've brought the diaphragm to fatigue. So it's it's almost that you're 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 kind of, you're adding that extra load onto the diaphragm. Now it may be a buildup of hydrogen ions, so we're not exactly sure what's happening there. Um, if you think about anaerobic training and an athlete will be told, I need you to sprint with your mouth open. Well, sprint is normal breathing. That's done to stimulate anaerobic glycolysis to prepare the body to be better able to cope with anaerobic situations. During that sprint with the mouth open, blood oxygen saturation will drop from about 98%, maybe down to about 93%. If you go for a walk with your dog and you breathe in and out and hold your nose and you hold your breath until a moderate to strong air hunger without overdoing it, always recover within two breaths, you will drop your blood oxygen saturation to about 85%. In other words, the breath holding achieved during walking or jogging is much, much stronger than the all out sprint with the mouth open. And the problem with the sprinting with the mouth open is that it can be traumatic. And some players can get injured from overdoing it. So you can do some sprinting, of course, because it's good for muscle conditioning. But you can also do breath holding during walking and jogging because that's good for stimulating anaerobic glycolysis, but without the trauma. And the other thing is about athletes who are injured. They can decondition pretty quickly. But with doing breathing exercises, you can still add an extra load so that you're maintaining respiratory muscle strength and function that then you can translate because it's all about the degree of breathlessness train your breathing you're less breathless less breathless you can push your body harder and faster yeah and just another thing is that um it increases your vo2 max like straight up this increases like when you're talking speaking say to athletes or snc coaches or different people about like the benefits potential not of whatever and unfortunately like you say the woo-woo has been when i was growing up if someone 10 years ago if someone was talking to me about breathing i just said oh you know or meditation or any anything like that that i now just it's well just shout from it's the rooftops. because the language that was put out there was nonsense it's mm. not about the airy fairy and the angels and the you know any like it's it's about genuine stuff that we can put into practice i think they've made a mess of it brian and I know yeah. people are going to take offense about that, but listen, you know, look at look at what has happened. Why come something so valuable hasn't got out there? You know, and it's it's really a question mm -hmm. that I've wondered about. 
you know, breeding has been around, okay, in the Eastern world, but it's even been around in the Western world since the 1970s, 50 years. And how come it still hasn't reached a tipping point? And the reason being is because very few people have explored the potential with this. Now it's happening. And you know what it took? It took a book by James Nestor called Brett that he wrote, which yeah. is, it's, it's a tremendous book. And it's a book that details quite a bit of what we've been teaching for 20 years, you know, and he put it out there in a lovely style of writing, making it into a story. He captured the imagination and it sold a million copies. And I've just written a new book myself that's due out in about four weeks and James has written the foreword to it. And this is breathing for yoga. So can you imagine even in the yoga community who's been teaching breathing for 5,000 years, that in the Western world, breathing changed in yoga in 1880, in the hygienic movement. And the lightness and the subtlety of the breath was replaced by taking these full big breaths in the belief that full big breaths improves oxygen delivery throughout the body, which is not necessarily correct. So breathing changed not that long ago. So this book, that The Breathing for Yoga, I don't know much about yoga. I know a little about breathing. So a yoga instructor wrote the yoga part of it. And then we recruited a scholar, Magdalena, who's just done a PhD on breathing and yoga. And she tied in the history. And I think it's fascinating that when information is passed down throughout the generations, often that information gets misinterpreted, whatever way it's communicated or fashion. Fashion kicks in and says, now you're all doing it wrong. We need to be doing it this way. But sometimes we need to go back to the basics. So we will see a quest. And I know I went off on a bit of a tangent there, but I think we are going to see something happen. Yeah, no, brilliant, brilliant. Um, yeah, I could go on forever. Um, maybe we'll have to come back on in a while. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I could go on forever. But yeah, I know you need to get on with your day. But um, thanks, Emil, for your time in class. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And that book you mentioned by James Nestor, I'd heard about, you know, as I said, my aunt, um, trained under you and then she told me a couple of things and then I read that book James Nestor's and then that was one that really yeah kind of got me just like oh wow this is life you know like this is yeah real and just from then on I was just very conscious of it conscious of it every day and it's just oh just one last thing it's just such a game changer like I go to the gym now I'm not playing rugby anymore I'm gonna go back playing Gaelic football here in Christchurch this summer really looking forward to it but like we do we do these like block runs after f45 like a training thing and like when i was younger i was not very fit like i play i was always trying to keep weight on like to play number eight second row i'm not naturally a heavy person and remember i was like 107 kilos would be kind of like my regular and 108 and i just wasn't that fit but i just had to be smart i did i was very smart around the field to to make up for it and now I'm like 101. I dropped down to about 95 at one point when I got injured. Now I'm up to about 101. So I'm not a, that much lighter, but I would say I'm like, I do these runs and I'm just gassing everyone. And it's so easy. And within like a kilometer, a sprint for a kilometer, pretty much around the block. And I can sprint for a kilometer and I get in and I'm out of breath, but within four or five breaths, I'm back. And while I'm doing it, 100% nasal breathing all the way around I'm just like accelerating and 
like it's just so real that it's mad mm -hmm. like because i remember me when i was younger and like it's night and day and i used to think i was like is it because i'm lighter is it because i'm not lifting as heavy and it's like i'm sure all these in are little factors but the breathing man anyway people yeah get after it yeah and and your book as well uh just give it a mention you mentioned james answers that's cool as well that james wrote the forward for your new one but um the oxygen advantage is uh the book i'm halfway three quarters through now and it's class as well it, it kind of outlines things very very well um the different yeah the different uh exercises and things we've been talking about as well but um yeah that's one to people to pick up if they want to read more great stuff it was a pleasure brian cheers for listening into the pod today if you're new to the pod welcome be sure to check out some earlier episodes and subscribe wherever you're listening so that you get the new episodes when they're released. In my mid-twenties, I began studying the mind and that led me to playing the best rugby in my life and enjoying it so much all the time, like regardless of results. Whereas when I was younger, there were highs and lows and it felt uncertain, like I was on a roller coaster. But then when I began developing and harnessing my mind, it felt like I'd absolutely cracked the code. Now I work one-on-one -on -one with players and yes, I help you overcome challenges and we do mental skills work so that you can consistently perform at your peak. But I also help you expand your mind and grow as a person. You know the way you often feel like you have more in you, you have more to express, you have more to bring and it kind of gets frustrating when yes you're getting some results but you know you have more inside you i help you bring that out every single player that i've worked with one-on-one -on -one for over 12 months has made a team that they didn't think they could make in that time and or signed a new increased contract that way more than covered the investment that they made in themselves for the one-on-one -on -one coaching. If you're a player or coach and would like to learn more, head over to offfieldrugby.com now and book your free 30-minute Zoom consultation with me. Through this podcast, I want to help millions of people live happier, more fulfilled and more successful lives because I absolutely know that it's possible. If you want to be an absolute legend now and help me out, there's three things you can do first is to share the pod you can send it on some friends share it on social media and simply just tell people about it second you can leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now on apple podcasts when you click into the pod you can scroll down and there's an option to leave a review and up to a five star rating and on spotify when you click into the pod on the left hand side you'll see a little star you can click on that and then leave up to a five-star rating again. And third thing, lastly, just make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. Those three things, sharing the pod, leaving a rating and a review, and subscribing, really, really help the podcast grow. Helps us help more people. So thank you so, so much. Please connect with me over on social media. Instagram is at Brian Moylet, at Offfield Rugby. LinkedIn is Brian Moylet and any thoughts, questions, feedback, please let me know. I would love to hear from you. 
Thanks a mil for listening today. I really, really appreciate it. Be good to yourself, get after it, and I will see you next week. Cheers.